All right, well, we are going to begin going through the book of Ephesians, and I like this book just because uh, the first three chapters are really just packed full of just doctrine when it comes to salvation. There's some really good teaching in here, and then the last three chapters is just real practical daily living, how to be a good Christian type stuff. So there's a lot of good things in here. So we'll go ahead and start in verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, right off the bat, we know Paul is writing to believers here. He's writing to faithful people. Ephesus was a place where if we read the book of Acts, we can see that the Apostle Paul, he'd spent quite a bit of time there. There was a lot of people that were saved. This was a city that uh, we know had uh, had some problems. Paul actually caused a riot there one time. Remember when everybody started screaming for two hours, you know, great is Diana of the Ephesians. So this is a very idolatrous city. And so uh, these people in this church uh, definitely would have come from a wicked background and culture but now they're saved and faithfully serving Christ. And uh, this church also, this is very important, we're understanding this for next week, and we'll probably look, we'll see some evidence of this tonight too, but this church was one that had Jews and Gentiles in it. We see that from the book of Acts that that is exactly what happened. There were many Jews that got saved, but there were also many Gentiles. And so uh, a lot of what's talked about in chapter uh, 2 is very relevant when it comes to that. And so uh, this letter... Um, it's a little different than, you know, ones like First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians that we went through recently where that group, when we look at what went on in the book of Acts, this was a church that had very uh, new believers. This was a very young church where Paul was not able to spend a whole lot of time. And so you can see how he's writing to the Thessalonians, you know, like you would new Christians. He's talking to them like new Christians. Now, uh, when he's writing to Corinth, that's a church that obviously there were babes in Christ, but they were people that probably shouldn't have been babes in Christ. And he's kind of getting all over their case. There's a lot of rebuke there. But this, this particular church, he writes to them like a mature church. He's talking to them and he's, he's going really deep with these people because this is a group that he'd probably been around enough that they, he was able to teach them the basics. And so he's, this is a church that can probably handle some meat. They're believers. He'd been around them a lot. They're faithful. So um, there's, there's definitely some things that are uh, different about this letter than some of Paul's other letter. And if we keep all these things in mind, it'll help us kind of understand what's going on. And a lot of times people make the mistake of reading all of Paul's epistles exactly the same way. But you really do need to pay attention to who he's talking to, what was going on. It'll help you understand a lot of things. And so, um, you know, we so he definitely goes deeper with these people. And so, always look at different subject matter in Paul's letters and how he wrote. It will it'll help you. It'll it'll help you understand some things. And so, it's important that we understand Paul is he's going a little deep here in chapter one. And Ephesians chapter one is a chapter in the Bible that heretics love to use to deceive people and what i want to do i want to mainly just show what ephesians chapter one is talking about i think it's actually pretty simple but then what i also want to do is when we look at what it's talking about i want to show you how deceivers are deceiving people i'm, ho I'm hoping to kind of reveal some tricks of false prophets so you can see through this these kind of things when people do it so look at what it says and specifically the calvinists all right specifically the calvinists because they love chapter one now, dispensationalists like it too, because the word's in there. But boy, when we get a full look at this chapter, it's really amazing that they, dispensationalists or Calvinists, would even want to turn to this chapter because it doesn't help them out at all. So verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Something that we have got to understand, I think we understand this, but let me remind you of it. As Christians, okay, what our position that we have is a very high position, but understand it's spiritual, isn't it? I mean, we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, but yet, are we seated in heavenly places right now? Physically speaking, absolutely not. But spiritually, now, are we righteous right now? 
physically speaking? No. But spiritually, yes, if you are saved. And you know what? We have all spiritual blessings. Now, I don't have all of the physical blessings of this world. I mean, I'd like to think millions of dollars is a blessing. I don't have that. You know, I, there's lots of blessings on this earth that I don't have. But I, you know what? I have all spiritual blessings. And so he uh, kicks that off. And so we need to always remember, when you get saved, immediately you receive certain titles and positions spiritually, but we are, also, we are all waiting for the physical manifestation of those things that as sure as Jesus rose from the dead, they will come. And whenever you're reading the Bible, you need to pay attention. Is he talking about the spiritual possession or the physical possession? Because sometimes the Bible speaks as things as though they are done. And then there's another place in the Bible where it's talking about that same thing. It's talking about it as though it's in the future. Well, which one is it? Well, it's both of them. So, because sometimes it's only it's focusing on the spiritual aspect of it. Other times it's focusing on the physical. So let's see some examples uh, in Romans chapter 8, verse 22. It says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even as ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Folks, we sing songs like redeemed, don't we? Are we redeemed? Spiritually, yes, we are redeemed. And we have the first fruits of that redemption, the Holy Spirit, but we are waiting for the redemption of our body, aren't we? So I am redeemed, but I'm also waiting to be redeemed, aren't I? And so that's what he's talking about here. It says, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. So folks, we're going to keep on singing redeemed how I love to proclaim it. We're going to keep singing songs like that because we have been redeemed. But our redemption that we have right now is spiritual. And we're all looking forward to the day when this body is redeemed. Well, when's that going to happen? At the return of Christ. And, then, so, and we're waiting for that. We see in 1 John chapter 3, he says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. But it does not, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Ladies and gentlemen, all I can see right now are sons of Adam. But those of you who profess Christ, we all, we all recognize you and we will acknowledge that you are a son of God. But unfortunately, I can only see the son of Adam in here. But it's okay for you to call yourself a child of God right now if you're saved. Because even though you don't look like it, even though you don't always act like it, when he appears, you will look like it, you will act like it. But go ahead and call yourself a child of God right now. It's okay for us to sing, I'm a child of the king. It's okay for us to sing those songs even though we don't look like it. And even though most of the time what we see and what we show is children of Adam. And, but it's okay to claim it. Romans 13, 11, And that knowing that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. I thought I got saved when I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you did, spiritually. And when you get, when you get saved spiritually, you receive the promise of a physical salvation. And a promise from God is as good as having it right now. Okay? And so we are still waiting for our salvation. And it's getting closer. It's nearer now than when we believed. But you know what? It's okay to say, I am saved. It's okay for you to do, it's okay for you to do that. The verse 12 says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the arm of the light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So because we have this hope, 
of being like Christ one of these days, because we have the promise of all these things, as Christians, we're supposed to be living like we're actually expecting these things to happen. And we should not make provision for the flesh. We should remove things from our life that's going to get us in trouble because we want to know how to possess this vessel. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6 says, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So notice here how it mentions, ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. And then he says, now walk as children of light. We are children of light, but we still have this flesh and we are very capable of sinning. And so we have been exhorted and told over and over again by men like Paul to walk as children of light. Act like a Christian. Act like somebody who is saved. That's what he's telling us to do. And we must never forget that all of the things that make us saved and all of the things that we are as saved people are things that are spiritual or things that are promised. We don't have the physical manifestation of any of these things. I believe I have treasures in heaven, but I can't show you those treasures in heaven. I have the promise of them, but I don't physically possess those things. I have the promise of a new body, but I don't physically have that. And so we've always got to remember these things are spiritual that we have right now. And because they have been promised to us and we've been sealed and, we, and God has given us the earnest of His Spirit. He's given us that earnest payment showing that He means business. It is okay for us to say we are those things right now. But we must distinguish the spiritual from the physical manifestation of it. And so the Bible, when it's speaking of these things is in the future, it's not because they're not set in stone for us and they're not guaranteed. They are guaranteed. But we're waiting for those things. It's, that is something that's to come But in the meantime, when you see it speaking about it in the present, it's talking spiritually. And that's what he's been talking about here in Ephesians, that the things that we have, these are spiritual. Now, verse 4, he goes on to say, "Um, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So here are two verses that the Calvinists love to severely abuse in a, in a terrible way. And so I want to explain the trick that Calvinists use and many false teachers, they use this method to teach foolishness. And I, but I, a, a lot of different groups do this, but I think Calvinists are just the best at it. Okay? They're, they're really good at this. Because okay, here's what they do. They get up and they will speak undeniable truths. Okay, Before a Calvinist gives you a load of baloney, he gets up and he says a bunch of stuff that nobody would argue with. But they'll say it like you're going to argue with them about it. That, that's kind of what they do. All right, but and it's, 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 it's tricky because when someone gets up and read a script, reads a scripture and then they speak a profound truth, we let our guard down, don't we? You know, and we just naturally assume, I mean, you know, Pastor Tommy, you just read a verse. I mean, you just said a bunch of things that are really true. You're on a roll. I mean, y'all are amening. And, you know, I've got, I've got you going. And now I can slip the baloney in. And you're going to be very likely to take it. And then I'll put some other, you know, and then I'll say some more truth after that, too. Okay. I don't like baloney, uh, and I don't, I don't know if that's the best analogy in case some people like baloney, but I'm just saying just fake junk. All right. Fake, false junk. That's, that, that's, that's kind of what they do. And so, you know, I, so I, uh, you know there, I'm trying to think of, a, of the best illustration. You know, I was talking with somebody one time, and we, you know, we were discussing a situation where uh, a pastor had you know, disqualified himself and I believe he disqualified himself. The other pastor didn't believe he disqualified himself. And then to defend this person, what he did 
is he said a whole bunch of things that are true. He said, I mean, do you want all of your sins broadcast to the whole world? I mean, don't we all sin? Doesn't the Bible say, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? I mean, just saying all these things that are true. And then he proceeded to say, you know, the pastor didn't do this, and he didn't do this, and he went down a list of things that the pastor didn't do. And, it's, and, and, and everything's, and then he's just like, you agree with what I'm saying, right? <laughs> and I just told him, I said, I actually agree with every single thing that just came out of your mouth. But here's the thing. I'm not talking about the, th I didn't say he did any of those things you said he didn't do. I'm talking about this one thing right here. This is what we're talking about. So, you know, it, to look like they're pre he's presenting a good argument, he just went and said a bunch of unrelated true things to distract from the conversation at hand. And that's often what a Calvinist will do is they'll just get up and, you know, and a lot of these people are really eloquent. You know, they like talking about how smart they are and acting smart and using big words. And they'll say a bunch of good stuff, but then they, they throw in the baloney. And so what they'll, they'll pontificate just all these wonderful truths about how sinful man is and about how holy God is and how all glory goes to him and he did all the work of salvation. And they'll say these things in a very great way, but when they get up and they're doing that, be ready for the baloney, right? They're, they're, they're about to throw in some baloney and these two verses are used to legitimize their baloney when it comes to being chosen, being predestinated. These are words that they like according to the good pleasure of His will. They like to talk about God's will as if they know what it is. You know, that it's God's will for some to be saved and for some to not be saved. And that's partially true too because it's God's will that those who believe be saved and those who do not believe not be saved. You know, yeah, that, that's true but what a Calvinist means, you know, when they say things like that, is there are, there are some people, some of you in here today, chances are most Calvinists would probably think all of you, if you're in this church, you've just been elected to hell. You know, and there's really nothing you can do about it. Unless, in God's grace, he chooses to give you faith, and you all join the Calvinist church instead, and then they teach you real salvation, and you all get saved. You know, they believe, you know, it was predestinated, you know, got you were chosen, you know, brother Eric, he was chosen from the foundation of the world for salvation. Brother Chris, on the other hand, way back then, no, we don't know why we can't know why, but God chose something different for him. You know, and who are we to say, you know, anything to the potter and boy, I'd love to go to Romans chapter nine, but I haven't got time. Don't, don't even get me going to Romans chapter nine. But they'll say all these things and they'll use that word predestined, you know, which is not used a lot in the Bible. And then they, we've got a verse here. It's got the words. So, you know, I, I believe in predestination. You don't believe in predestination. I mean, here's a verse in the Bible. He predestined right there. And they do. They'll define these words for you and not instead of using the Bible to define them. And so verses like this, they're very, they're convenient. Because they do. They believe God chooses some individuals for salvation, some for damnation. They call it predestination. And so the two words are there. Chosen, predestination. They're there, making it look like they might have actually got this from the Bible. But folks, these things don't mean anything close to what they're trying to say it means. Because okay? what does it mean to be chosen in Him? Why did Paul say that? Why did Paul... Choose to use those words. Why did he use that phrase, that term, chosen in him? Okay, now let's look back at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings, blessings in heavenly places in Christ. God chose us in Christ. Meaning, what is special about us is Christ and not ourselves. That, that's, what, that's what it means. God didn't choose you in the Baptist church. God didn't say, you know what? I'm going to accept you because you know what? You picked the right church. Just like me. Because I got baptized by John the Baptist and I was a Baptist. And so therefore, that's why I chose. No, that's not why. We're not chosen in Baptist. We're not chosen in our works. God did not elect some of you to salvation because God just knew from the foundation of the world all the good things that you were going to do for him. No, it wasn't that at all. 
You were chosen in Christ. That's how God decided who's going to go to heaven, who's not going to go to heaven, is He looked at those who were in Christ. God chose those in Christ. That's what it means to be chosen in Christ. And for some, some reason, they've come up with something completely different on that. And so it, what, what is special about us is Christ, not ourselves. God does not look at nationality, race, religion. And nationality would have been important when you're talking to a church that has Jews and Gentiles. And he's going to talk about these you know, things relating to that in the next chapter. Because you had Jews who thought they were the chosen people because we're Jews. We're of Israel. No, God didn't choose you in Abraham. God didn't choose you in a nation. God didn't choose you by the law. He chose you in Christ. So you know what you all have in common? Jews and Gentiles who are part of this church right now? Christ. And that's what you're chosen in. That's what makes you special. And so guess what? There's no difference between Jew and Greek. Because we're all one in Christ. So folks, that's what, that's what chosen means. Yeah, we're the chosen people. We're chosen in Christ. And to, to think that today with the New Testament, that we would still refer to an ethnicity as a chosen people and then get mad when Christians say, um, actually, that's us. <laughs> uh, how dare you say that? I mean, Paul said you're chosen in him. And that our saying we're chosen is nothing braggadocious. It's us giving glory to Christ like Paul talked about. So, that, you know, that's what that means. So, uh, you know, so our favor, you know, God, he, you know, he favors us based on Christ. That's why we get that grace and that favor because of Christ. Not any of these other things that a lot of people look to. We've been chosen in Christ as a way to be holy and without blame before him in love. Because that's what he says. Chosen in Christ. Okay. So we could be holy and without blame before him in love. This shows our standing before God, our position that we hold spiritually. It's not based on our works, but on the works of Jesus Christ. That is what was chosen. Not, it's not, you know, who was chosen by God. Okay. Cause that's what we have to ask ourselves. What was chosen by God? Was it a race of people? You know, was it a people who had performed some kind of works of the law? Was it a religious sect? No. And it wasn't even Baptists that God chose. You want to know who God chose? He chose Christ. And all those who are in Christ, okay, those are, God, those are God's people. They are the chosen, and God always intended it to be that way. And you want to know why Israel was the chosen people? You know why God chose Abraham? Because the seed was going to come from them. And because of the seed, Jesus Christ, they were special. And God preserved those people. Why? Because he's trying to preserve the seed that would come and redeem all of them and redeem us. That's why, that's what, that's what made them special. It wasn't even anything about their Jewishness. It was just that the seed was going to come from them. Because again, it all goes to Jesus Christ. He gets all the glory. We've got to stop giving the glory of Jesus Christ to a race of people. That is so wrong. It is so messed up. So, um, the predestination here is not about what Calvinists say it's about, but it's about the standing that is given to us by Christ. See, words, words that are rarely used in the Bible or in our modern language are often hijacked by heretics. So they can define it for you. And then when you see that word that you're not used to in the Bible, that you're not used to using, you'll be deceived into thinking there must be something to what they're saying. But it, it was the good pleasure of his will not to send one to heaven and another individual to hell, but it was the good pleasure of his will that all who go to heaven go through Christ. Because here's, here's what you got to understand. God created man, but man fell. God still loved man, wanted to have a relationship with man, and there had to be a way for man to get to God. Now, what did God choose to get man to God? Jesus Christ. 
That's what God chose. In fact, that was God's plan from the foundation of the world. It was always God's plan. And we see it from Genesis to Revelation. It was always God's plan to go through Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is explaining right here because he has given all credit for their salvation to Jesus Christ. He's the one that did everything. And he uses that word predestinated because of the fact that it was something that was, it was decided by God from the beginning of time that Jesus Christ be the way of salvation, that Jesus Christ be the one that, uh, that people come to God through. That's what he always chose. But yet, somehow, even though there's nothing about it in this chapter, they're reading that and using that as proof that God chose you to go to hell and he chose... The, and, and they don't pretend that they know who the who's who, you know, who's saved. Well, but at the same time, they do kind of. You know, those who haven't repented of enough sins, uh, there's no way you're saved. You know, and they do. They judge all our salvation based on our works. And, you know, I mean, that's, and folks, that's the best we can really do anyway, because all we can see is works. But at the end of the day, you know, I think it's really dangerous to tell a professing believer that they're not saved based on their works when you pretend you believe in a salvation without works. You're kind of sending a confusing message to a lot of people. So, you know, watch out for that. And I, I don't want to get into, uh, go down that rabbit trail. So, verse 6 goes on to say, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. And here are two more verses where Calvinists, they can get up and they can eloquently speak many great truths about how God does all the saving. But folks, the fact that Jesus did all of the work of salvation, and they will, they will get up I mean, it's, it is the blood of Christ. I mean, God did it. And yes, when it comes to the drawing, God draws us to salvation. I mean, yes, God deserves credit for everything. Okay, All glory goes to Jesus Christ. But they then, what they do, they'll get up and they'll speak all these truths. And they'll give a bunch of scripture proving all these truths. And then what they'll do is they'll take a truth after giving you a series of truths and use that truth to jump to a false conclusion. And that, that's what's amazing about it. So, a way to illustrate this, it would be like, so their interpretation of the Scripture could be compared to me hearing a weather report that it's going to rain tomorrow. Okay? I hear a weather report it's going to rain tomorrow, and, be, be, and it turns out that weather report is 100% true. It is going to rain tomorrow. Oh, you don't think it's going to rain tomorrow? I saw on five different news stations. I've seen satellite images. I've done all this research. Folks, it's going to rain tomorrow. It's just a fact. All right? And, and so I can get up. I can talk about all these things. I can show you all these charts. I can watch a bunch of videos. Folks, it's going to rain tomorrow. There, there it is. There's all the proof. And then I go and I speak all this truth, and I convince you it's going to rain, and I know what I'm talking about. And then I say, therefore, since we know it's going to rain, y'all are going to drown we're all going to get flooded and you're all going to drown. Wait a minute. You know, yes, you proved it's going to rain, but that doesn't mean we're all going to drown. It doesn't mean we're going to get flooded. And, and so that, that's what they'll do. They'll get up and they'll talk about how Jesus Christ did all the work and Jesus Christ did this and Jesus Christ did that. And therefore, you can't even choose to get saved. You know, it's not up to you. You can't choose to have faith. If you have faith, it's because God gave you that faith. Well, what if I didn't want it? God gave it to you anyway. Well, and, and here's the thing too. I mean, obviously, He deserves credit for us having faith because of the fact that, I mean, look at all that He's done. Look at the miracles we see in the Bible. There's a reason we have faith. I mean, look, you know, the Holy Spirit, you know, drew us to Him. I mean, obviously... That, you know, and you can find all kinds of verses giving him credit for all these things. But, okay, yes, I have faith because of what he did. But, again, you are concluding that I have no choice in whether I have faith or I don't have faith. That's a false assumption. Okay, you're jumping to a false conclusion based on all these truths. And, and that's just weird. And they, they can't show you any clear scripture showing you these things that they all claim. 
But what they'll do is they'll just get up and they'll pontificate all these truths and then throw in their false conclusion. And we've heard so much true stuff that's got all the scripture. Well, obviously what just came out of their mouth is true too. No, that's that baloney they're slipping into your sandwich. Don't let them get away with that. that that's, that's not right. That's absolutely false. So verse 8, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Now, this is interesting, too, because we've been talking about all this stuff that, you know, they'll say, well, we can't know. We can't know who's chosen and who's not. Only God knows that. But wait a minute. He's telling us here when talking about all these things about salvation and being chosen, predestinated, all these things. It tells us also he's made known unto us the mystery of his will. So actually, it looks like I can know God's will. Now, I would agree with them. I mean, if the Bible taught that, you know, God chose for one person to be saved and another person for hell, how would we know that? Yeah, there's definitely no, and, and Calvinists don't claim to be able to look at somebody and know who was chosen for damnation. Okay? But shouldn't they know? Because they're basing this idea on Ephesians chapter 1 where it's talking about God's will that they love talking about. And then here in verse eight, it's saying, or in verse nine, it's saying he's made known unto us the mystery of his will. So we should be able to look and figure out who's saved and who isn't saved or who are the chosen and who's not the chosen based on this passage if we're getting our theology from Paul. Now, if we're just looking for Paul to use words that we've made up our own definitions for so we can teach our false doctrine, well, I guess it doesn't really matter. But, you know, we're trying to let the doctrine, the Bible and the scripture shape our doctrine. And so here it's telling us, having made known us, us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. They're always saying it's according to God's good pleasure. He chose you for heaven and another person for hell. And, but we can't know what that is. That doesn't make any sense because here when talking about the good pleasure of his will, it says he's made, known, he's made it known unto us. It says, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. So again, what's Paul doing? He's bringing it back to Christ. This was God's will. This is the mystery of his will. That all be in Christ. Jews and Gentiles. We don't have an old, you know, like a separate resurrection for Old Testament saints and another one for the New Testament saints. No. All who are going to be raised according to 1 Corinthians 15 in the resurrection passage are in Christ. He's chosen all to be in Christ. That was the mystery of his will. Now, yes, that wasn't made known in the Old Testament, but it's been made known now in the New Testament. And I'll have people tell me, like, well, you show me where it says that in the Old Testament. Well, I have in the New Testament where it flat out tells us that's what the Old Testament was speaking of. I, I shouldn't have to have that same verse spelled out in the Old Testament because it was a mystery then. But it's not a mystery anymore. It has now been revealed. So, folks, this, this mystery, this mysterious will of God that only God knows based on Ephesians 1 is only based on part of Ephesians 1 because if they just keep reading, they would see that God's made these things known unto us. And so we can know. It's those who are in Christ. They're the ones who are saved. That was what God chose from the foundation of the world. This is about Jesus. Okay? Predestination is about Jesus, not about you or me. It's about, it's about Jesus. So verse, um, so turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Okay? Because notice another thing too, we also have the word dispensation and mystery used here. So this is where the dispensationalists come in and do exactly what the Calvinists do. Okay? The dispies, what they do, the dispensationalists, they create rules of interpretation that they got from a book somewhere. And then they create new facts with their isolated text and their poorly defined words. That's what the, and I don't, I don't really have time to get into what some of the things the dispensationalists do with this passage. But let me just say, you want to know the definition of pain is go watch a debate between a Calvinist and a dispensationalist. It's just like, you don't know who you want to win. And it's just like, nobody wins in those debates. It's just like, how can two people be so opposed to each other and both be so stinking wrong? It is the most painful thing in the world to watch. I've watched, I've watched debates on Romans 9. Between, and, I'm just, and I'm just so embarrassed for that dispensationalist. Because I do like dispensationalists better than Calvinists. 
But man, the Calvinists, they own them on Romans chapter 9. Dispensations don't know what to do with it. It's, it's absolutely horrible to watch. But if you want to torture yourself sometime, just go, go look up some of those online and you'll, you'll be horrified. But 1 Corinthians 2.7 says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. You want to know what the mystery was? You know, this hidden wisdom that God ordained? We're talking about God ordaining something before the world again. And you know who it's talking about? Not whether or not you get saved or I get saved or whatever. No, it's talking about Jesus Christ. Again, it was, and, and it, that was always the plan. And it says if they would have known that, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But that was always God's plan. That's what was foreordained. This is about Jesus Christ. Not, not about you and me. The cross was plan A. It was always going to be Jesus. The Old Testament saints, they only saw the shadows of what was to come. But we're living in a day today where we're seeing the color picture. You know, and one of these days, Jesus Christ is going to come back and we're going to get to see three-dimensional picture. You know, we're, we're, going to get to, we're going to get to know even more. And so to summarize what Paul has said in these first verses, it's basically just a greeting and showing that our salvation that we have is from Christ and what we are seeing today specifically with the uniting of the Jews and Gentiles, it was always God's plan. God never intended to have the Jews over here and the Christians over here. No, God wanted them all one. And he wanted them all in Christ. That was always God's plan from the foundation of the world. It was predestinated that all be together in one. And so we, do, we see in Acts chapter 18... Um, that there, this church probably had many Jews and Gentiles in it. Paul had been in Ephesus. We're not going to read all the passages. And the Jews watched him or wanted him to stay longer. The Jews actually wanted him to stay longer, but he couldn't. And if we keep reading, we see this is where Apollos comes on the scene. And it says in Acts 18.24, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in the Spirit... He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. We've talked about him before, but Apollos, he was a good guy. He was saved. But since Christ had come and had died and rose again, there were some things he hadn't been updated on. There were some things that needed dispensed to him. There was a dispensation he had not received yet. And so Aquila and Priscilla, they give him the rest of the story. They expound the way of God more perfectly. And once he gets this, once he understands this, he went and he persuaded many Jews, the Bible says. He did all this in Ephesus. And so there's, there, there's no doubt this church had was a church of Jews and Gentiles. And this is exactly what God wanted. This was exactly God's will. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about. This was always God's plan. This is what, this is what God always wanted. This is what God intended from the foundation of the world. That's what Paul's talking about. So I think we can see why Paul was able to write the way he did to the Ephesians. I think we can see why he was able to go deep because Apollos, he knew those scriptures really well. And he was probably, you know, so he, we know he was a very good teacher. He knew that Old Testament inside and out. He's somebody that's in Ephesus teaching these people. So Paul's like, man, good, I'm writing a letter to Ephesus. I can go deep with this crowd. You know, and sometimes you preach to crowds and it's like you got to, you know, it's a crowd, you know, well, they're not ready for some stuff. But it's nice when you're, pre you know, that's why I like preaching to my church best, you know, because I feel like you all are ready for some meat. I feel like you can handle some meat. I feel like you actually know some stuff. Imagine if I had to preach something like this in a dispensational church. It'd take me several weeks because they're so far behind. So um, Paul is just able to just kind of lay it out. All right, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to give you guys the good stuff. Because they can handle it because these people have had some good teaching. So verse 11 says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be 
to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. It has always been God's will for Jesus to receive praise and glory for our salvation. That's all, God's always wanted that. We see in Revelation 5, 9, and it says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by, the blood, by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Okay, now who did all this? Who made us kings and priests? Jesus did. We didn't do these things. We didn't achieve it. He did it. And it says, And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. You know what it looks like? It looks like what God ordained from the foundation of the earth is going to come to pass. And that's that Jesus Christ get all the glory for salvation. That's what we're seeing going on here in the future. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth on the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and el- twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. So the Calvinists are like, well, you know, the will of God's a mystery. We don't know what the will of God is. We don't know, what, you know, who God ordained. What no, we do know. You want to know what God's will is? You want to know that what God ordained from the foundation of the earth? We see it in Revelation chapter 5. That's what God predestined. What is happening here in Revelation 5? That is what is predestined, folks. That's what can't change. That's going to happen. Now, when it comes to you as an individual, who knows? You know, who knows? I recommend you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so you can be saved if you've not done that. Because if not, we see some more unpleasant events coming on in Revelation. This one here is pretty good. And that's, that's what God wants for us. That's what God has provided. God has provided a way for us to have this. But if you're going to get in on this, you have to go in the way that God predestined, in the way that God has chosen, in the way that God foreordained, and that is Jesus Christ. So what's so sad is that even though, you know, this is one of four places in the Bible too, where we have the word dispensation used. And even though this message couldn't be more clear, you have dispensationalists who think people from other dispensations are not in Christ. And that, that just blows my mind. I don't even have time to preach on that. But yes, yeah, so again, the dispensationalists, the Calvinists, they butcher Ephesians chapter 1 so bad. Okay, and then, notice what it says in verse 13. Because this goes along with what we believe. It says, "...in whom ye also trusted..." After that ye heard the word of truth, in whom ye trusted. After ye heard the word of truth. What is it we say? You know, you need, somebody needs to preach the gospel. You've got to hear the gospel. You need to receive it. You need to trust it. What do we tell people? Put your faith and trust in Christ. Repent of your dead works. Stop trusting in your works. Stop trusting in religion. Don't say within yourself, we have Abraham as our father. It says right here, in whom also ye also trusted. After ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that Christ made you believe or put belief in you, after He gave you faith, no, after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I mean, isn't it nice when just something, you have a verse that just lays out exactly like your doctrinal statement and what you say and it just goes right along with your rhetoric? Isn't it nice when our rhetoric can just be a verse straight out of the Bible? It's it's really it's really you know in Calvinists I was listening to these Calvinists they were trying to debunk an anti-Calvinist sermon and these and the one guy was talking on there and he was talking about soul winning you know it was like you know these guys you know they they act like fishermen you know coming back from a fishing trip talking about how many fish they caught and I thought about it, and, and it was like he caught himself it was so funny it was like he caught himself uh, you know I know Jesus said I'll make you fishers of men <laughs> I mean it, I was like yeah we do that guilty. <laughs> Guilty is charged, but I don't think that's a problem. I, I think that might have come from the Bible. <laughs> I, I, I love, I love when we get nailed for believing things that we can like directly quote from the Bible. 
you know, they say we're acting like we're on a fishing trip. And we literally have the Bible telling us, you know, don't Jesus say, I'll make you fishers of men. It's, it's so wonderful. But verse 13, uh, oh, yeah, I already read that. So, verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance, because we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's what he just said. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. I don't know about you easy believers and people. Y'all, your people haven't repented enough sins. I see this problem. I see that problem. Well, you know what? Wait do you see the purchased possession. Wait do they get redeemed, physically speaking. It hasn't happened yet, but wait till that happens. You're going to be blown away by that. When you watch us, them shine like the brightness of the firmament and get taken up into the clouds, while you've got to stay in darkness and wait for the fire and brimstone to fall, you won't be thinking that way about them then. But you know what you, you, know what you will do? You know what's going to happen when we all look at Brother Josh and he, get, you know, he gets glorified and he gets pulled up into heaven? Nobody's going to look at him and say, wow, he was really something. You know what they're going to, everybody's going to know because every eye is going to see Jesus Christ. Guess who's going to get glory when Josh goes to heaven? Jesus. And you know what? Same thing for you too. Okay? Some of y'all think people aren't going to be surprised with you, but they're going to be surprised with you too. <laughs> Jesus is going to get all, he's going to get all the glory for it. So the Holy Spirit inside of us, that is the earnest. That's that earnest payment or the proof that God means business and he will redeem this body. This has not happened yet but it's predestined. And nothing's going to change that. Verse 15, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Paul wanted them to continue learning more about their salvation. Deep teaching on salvation should give you more confidence about your salvation. If you get less, then it's probably because somebody's teaching it wrong. And so verse 21 far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in, the, in that which is to come, and hath put all things under His feet and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. I wish I could spend a lot more time on this, but notice here it says He put all things under His feet. Now let me ask you, does Jesus put all things under His feet? Spiritually, but you know what? Again, we're seeing something here that by now we should understand. So, and it's an important in our study. In the Bible, we learn to know when the Bible is talking about a spiritual fulfillment and when it's talking about the physical or the literal fulfillment of something. Because here it says Jesus put all things under his feet. But in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, it says, it, it speaks as though it's in the future. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 23, but every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he hath put, put down, shall have put down all rule and authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Is death under his feet yet in the sense that it has no more power? Okay, obviously people are still dying, aren't they? But Jesus spiritually has put death under his feet. In other words, it's in his power because he conquered death and he rose from the dead, didn't he? And he will raise us up one of these days. And one of these days, he will eliminate death. And, it said, and so watch what it says here. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him that God may be all in all. So here it speaks of it in both ways. Why? Because spiritually it's done. Spiritually, Jesus has defeated all these things. It's all under his feet. But the physical manifestation of that has not happened yet. And we're waiting for that. But folks, it's going to happen. Well, how do we know it's going to happen? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus rose from the dead. That's the proof. 
Well, how do I know that? He gave you the Holy Spirit. And that, 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 that's the proof. And so we're waiting. And we're waiting patiently. Maybe impatiently. We should be patient though. So it is so important that we understand this concept of a spiritual position in Christ and the physical and literal manifestation of the spiritual. We spiritually have all these things right now, but we're waiting for the physical. And this was a new concept that was not understood in the Old Testament. And while it was spoken of in Jesus' day, it, was not, it wasn't understood. Okay? And um, we see in Romans 4.17, it says, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they are. Was Abraham a father of many nations before he had any children? Well, technically no. But God called him one. Why? Because he had the promise. And God speak, if, if God is speaking of things that are not, then is it wrong to say they are not? Am I a heretic for saying that? Now, I, I bring all that up because I've been accused of being a heretic because a long time ago, um, I made a statement the same way from John chapter 3, verse 11. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and we receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And I said, Jesus was not in heaven at that time. He was on earth. And then I just, I mean, all these oneness people, heresy, heretic. And it's like, and here's what they don't understand. Again, the, he's speaking of, you know, of earthly things. You know, he's talking about the earthly and the spiritual. Yes, spiritually. Jesus, spiritually, we are seated in heavenly places, the Bible says. But folks, are we in heaven right now? Okay. Was Jesus in the flesh on earth during that time or was he in heaven? He was on earth. But you know what? He is in heaven now in the flesh, isn't he? And so, and so spiritually, he had that claim before the physical manifestation of it. So it's not wrong to say, well, when God is speaking of things that be not as though they are, for us to say, well, he was not at that time. But because of his position, because of who he was, because of the promise, because of the fact that he can't lie, he can't fail, it was appropriate for him to say, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Just like it's appropriate for me to say, I am saved. Even though I don't have the physical manifestation. But you do have to just distinguish when the Bible's talking about the spiritual, when it's talking about the physical. And so, you know, that passage really shouldn't be that complicated. But again, you know, these are oneness people that are missing a lot. And so... Um, that's that same concept that we see there. Jesus was already speaking that way on earth, but it wasn't understood there. And you know what? And a lot of that did go over Nicodemus's head, did it? didn't it? But you know what? Paul's laid these things out for us. We have the whole New Testament now. We can read these things. And so when I read John chapter 3, it makes sense. I mean, it, it, makes, per, it makes perfect sense now. And so hopefully this was a help. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord.